Have your Bible. I'm going to ask you to open to Exodus, the Old Testament, Genesis, and in the book of Exodus, uh, chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15. Two traveling angels stopped to spend the night in the home of a, a wealthy family. The family was rude, and they refused to let the angels stay in the mansion's guest room. Instead, they made the angels stay in this little cold, damp place down in the basement. And as they made their bed on the hard floor, the older angel saw a hole in the wall, and so he repaired it. When the younger angel asked why, the older angel replied, things aren't always what they seem. The next night, the pair came to rest at the house of a very poor, but yet very hospitable farmer and his wife. And after sharing what little food they had, the couple let the angels sleep in their bed where they could get a good night's rest. When the sun came up the next morning, the angels found the farmer and his wife in tears. Their only cow, whose milk had been their sole source of income, lay dead in the field. The younger angel was infuriated, and he asked the older angel, how could you have let that happen? He said, the first man had everything, yet you helped him. The second family had little, but was willing to share everything, and you let their cow die. Things aren't always what they seem, the older angel replied. When we stayed in the basement of the mansion, I noticed there was gold stored in that hole in the wall. Since the owner was so obsessed with greed and unwilling to share his good fortune, I sealed the wall so he couldn't find it. Then last night as we slept in the farmer's bed, the angel of death came for his wife. I gave him the cow instead. Things aren't always what they seem. The Lord's help, I want to preach under that title this morning, Things Aren't Always What They Seem. And that was certainly true for the children of Israel and, and their, their life as a nation. The passage that we're going to read here in just a moment follows what is commonly referred to as the Exodus. The Exodus has to do with the children of Israel uh, being delivered from some 400 years of living as slaves in the country of Egypt. And you can read that story in Exodus chapter 12. Then shortly after their departure from Egypt, Pharaoh began to second guess himself and so he began pursuing them in hopes of recapturing them and bringing them back into bondage once again. In Exodus chapter 14, we have the story of the parting of the Red Sea. And you know the story, you may have seen the movie as Moses stretches out his hand over the Red Sea and God sends a uh, a strong east wind, and it divided the water, so they stood up, and the children of Israel were able to pass through the Red Sea, the Bible says, on dry ground. 
And later Moses uh, sticks out his rod one more time over the, the seabed there and those walls of water come crashing in on all of the Egyptian soldiers and their chariots and their, their animals. And verse 31 of chapter 14 says this, And Israel saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians, and the people feared the Lord, and get this, and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. Now, following that, the next 21 verses of chapter 15 are a song of praise to God. The verse says that they believed God, and so they praised him for 21 verses. They sang nothing but the, the praises of their glorious God. But after that, their tune changed. Let's pick up the story in verse 22. Exodus 15 and verse 22. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he, that would be Moses, cried unto the Lord. And the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast into the waters... The waters were made sweet. There he made for them a statute and an ordinance. And there he proved them. And said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and wilt do that which is right in his sight, and wilt give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. Though the children of Israel thought that they had been led astray by Moses and were just absolutely convinced in their minds that they were going to die in the wilderness for lack of water, the truth this morning is this, things were not what they seemed. And may I say to you that even though the, the situations and circumstances of our lives often seem to be hopeless, that things are not always what they seem. As we delve deeper into this passage, let's consider first of all the unfailing providence of God. Here's what, here's what we need to understand this morning. The children of Israel did not find themselves at the bitter waters of Marah by accident. They weren't there because somebody couldn't read the map. They weren't there because they were unlucky. They were there because God had led them there by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. If you still have your Bibles open, uh, turn back to the left just a couple of pages to uh, chapter 13 and look at verses 21 and 22. 
And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar, uh, Exodus 13, 21, in a pillar of a cloud to lead them the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, to go by day and night. He took not away the pillar of the cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. So the truth of the matter is, they found themselves at this place in the wilderness called Mara because they were following God. They were going where God was directing them to go. In the daytime, there was this, this pillar of a cloud. I don't, I don't understand it. I don't get it. But I know that when it moved, then the children of Israel moved. And at nighttime, it turned into a pillar of fire by night so they could see where they were going. And so they followed this pillar of fire at nighttime and made their way through the rugged wilderness, just going wherever God was leading them. And three days later, three days into their journey, they end up at this place called Mara. The truth is this morning, sometimes... God leads us to places that we would rather not be. Can we just be honest? Sometimes, as we're following the Lord, we end up in places and we ask ourselves, how did I get here? And sometimes those places are hard places and difficult places and troubling places and confusing places and sometimes they're burdensome places and even bitter places. But remember, things are not always what they seem because there is always the unknown purpose of God. Unbeknownst to the children of Israel, God had a purpose for their being at Marah. Look back in our text in verse 25. Look at the last part. For there he made for them a statute and ordinance, and there he proved them. Whenever an automobile manufacturer comes out with a, with a new car or a new truck, they put that vehicle through a series of tests to prove it. I mean, they ride it all, over all kinds of, of rough roads. They, they drive it through water. They drive it in extreme heat and extreme cold. Uh, they, they drive that car many, many miles. And they're screeching and they're turning and they're twisting and they're sliding and they're starting and they're stopping. And they're doing all kinds of extreme maneuvers to see if that car can stand the test. And by the same token, church, God was testing the Israelites, not so he could see what was in their hearts. He already knew what was in their hearts. He wanted them to see and discover what was really inside of them. Needless to say, all of their belly aching and complaining and all of that, they didn't pass the test. And they didn't just fail, they failed miserably. I've been there, I uh, got an F in college, so I went to the teacher and I said, Sir, I don't, I don't believe I deserve this F you gave me. And he looked at me and he said, he said, Prater, you're right, you don't deserve it, but it's the lowest grade I have. <laughs> gotcha. I failed miserably. 
Can I remind you what Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 17? He said, the fining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord trieth the hearts. Nothing, nothing brings out the true us like difficult times. Nothing exposes what, what's really in our hearts like times of trial and tribulation. Where someone once said, adversity introduces a man to himself. When God turns up the heat, so to speak, that we and others begin to see what we're really like. Trials, this is very telling, trials tell us whether we're more attached to the blessings or to the one who gives the blessings. It tells us what we love more, the giver of the gifts or the gifts. Such was the cause with with Job. If you remember back in the, in the story of the life of Job, right there in the beginning chapters of his life, God took everything away from him. Everything. And yet he was able to say, the Lord gave and the Lord had taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You know what that tells us about this man named Job? He loved the blesser more than the blessing. He loved the giver of the gifts more than the gifts themselves. I want to read a quote to you, and I want you to try to picture this in your mind this morning. It's by a man named Oswald Chambers. He says, a saint's life is in the hands of God as a bow an arrow in the hands of an archer. How many bow hunters do we have here? Got a few? All right. He said the life of, of a saint, a believer, a Christian, he said we're, we're in the hands of God like an arrow is in the bow of an archer. God is aiming at something the saint cannot see. He stretches and strains, and every now and then, every now and again, the saint says, I cannot stand anymore, but God does not heed. He goes on stretching until his purpose is in sight. Then he lets fly. And I love this. We are here for God's designs, not our own. Maybe you're one of those this morning, and you're, you're really starting to feel the stretch and the strain and the struggle of what you're going through right now. And you see no end in sight. You see no purpose for this. You see no reason for this. But remember, God sees things you don't see. And God sees things I don't see. 
And there are times we go through difficulties and trials and tribulations and struggles, and we're trying to convince, we're trying to, in our mind, trying to figure out, why am I going through this? Why are things so hard? Why are things so tough? Why am I here? I don't get it. I don't see God's purpose. I don't understand. And all along, God just keeps pulling and stretching and straining, and it just continues to hurt, and we continue to struggle. And at some point, when God finally gets his purpose in view, he lets go. And we end up right where God wanted us to be. We didn't see it, but now we look back and we're able to say, I see it. I get it. And to be honest with you, there may never be a time in this life where we're able to look back and say, I get it. But there will be a time in the life to come. When I believe God will make it all clear. And God will help us understand why in this life we went through what we went through. See, one of the realities of life is that things don't always go our way. And we don't always find ourselves in places that we like. And the reason that is true is because as a child of God, again, life isn't about us. And we got to get that, church. As a believer, life isn't about us. It's about God and His glory. We are here for God's designs, not our own. And nothing proves that any better than when we find ourselves at a proverbial Mara. It's there that we will either become better or bitter. The Israelites became bitter, and thus we see them as the unbelieving people of God. I want to read verse 31 again of chapter 14. I want you to remember this. And Israel saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians, and the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord. They believed the Lord and his servant Moses. And then I told you the next 21 verses are just verses of praise to God, how great and grand and glorious he is. For example, they said, Then sang Moses and all the children of Israel this song unto the Lord, and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously, the horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. The Lord, it said, is my strength. He's my song, and he has become my salvation. Listen, picture this. The children of Israel, they've just come through the, uh, the Red Sea. God has delivered them from Egyptian bondage. He's got them across the Red Sea. They've escaped the Egyptians. The Egyptians have died, and now they're standing there on the brink, and they're praising God, and they're clapping, and they're glorifying God, and they're talking about how good he is, and how great he is, and how wonderful he is, and all of the things that he's done. He's my God, and I will prepare him in habitation. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. Thy right hand, O Lord, is become glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, hath dashed in pieces the enemy. And in the greatness of thine excellency, thou hast overthrown them that rose up against thee. Thou sentest forth thy wrath, which consumed them as stubble. And with the blast of thy nostrils, the waters were gathered together. The, the, the floods, it says, uh, stood upright as in a heap, and the depths were congealed in the heart of the sea. Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, 
glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders. Thou in thy mercy hast led forth the people which thou hast redeemed. Thou hast guided them in thy strength and thy, habit, thy holy habitation. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. And they go on and they went three days into the wilderness and found no water. And the people murmured. Wait a minute. They're over here, then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art. And the next minute, why are you doing this? What's going on? Well, wait a minute. Over here, he was great, and he was grand, and he was glorious, and he was wonderful, and he was mighty, and he was a blessing. That's because they were at a place they liked. And now they're at a place they don't like. And it's like, God, why have you done this? I don't get it. Why, why, why are you acting like that? I can't believe you led us. We're just going to die in the wilderness. We went three days in that water. Yeah, 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 yeah. You with me? What's going on? Listen, church, if God's good here, God's good over here. But how fickle we get. You know what that tells us? They were more about the gift and the blessings than they were the giver and the blesser. They're over just going off on how great God is. Three days later, they're murmuring, what are we going to drink? I mean, in just three short days, not weeks, not months, days. They went from praising and singing and glorifying God to griping and complaining and murmuring against Moses. But if you look in chapter 8 and verse 16, here's what you find out. They really, they, they really weren't complaining against Moses. God said, you're complaining against me because I led Moses. So let's understand when, when, when we're complaining, it's against God and his goodness and his grace. Again, I'll say this this morning, that nothing brings out the real us like trials and tribulations. What's really in our hearts, it's not going to be exposed in the good times. It's going to come out in those bad and difficult things. Come on, anyone, anybody can shout in the sunshine. But can you sing in the shadows. The songwriter said, we talk of faith when we're up on the mountain, but talk comes easy when life's at its best. But it's down in the valley of trials and temptations. That's where our faith is really put to the test. The fact that the children of Israel got angry at God at Mara proved that they really didn't believe in their hearts what they were singing three days earlier. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. God, what's going on? I don't get this. Why are you doing this? Why are you being so mean to me? That's not fair. If he's a good, good father on Sunday, He's still a good father on Monday. 
And if he's a good father in the sunshine, he's still a good father even in the shadows. Let me ask you, do you think God did what he did for the Israelites in bringing them out of Egypt and through the Red Sea so he could get them out there somewhere so he could abandon them three days later? Come on. Absolutely not. By the same token, do you think that somehow God would do what he did for us? I'm talking about sending his son to die on the cross for our sin just so he could save us and then abandon us? No. God didn't forgive us so he could fail us. He didn't deliver us so he could desert us later. That's not the God of the Bible. God does not lift us up so he can just let us down. This is what Paul wrote in the book of Romans. God committed his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. And Paul's point here is this. If God loved us and saved us when we were his enemies, then how much more will he do for us now that we're his children? Paul makes the same argument in chapter 8, verse 32. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? If when we were sinners and anti-God and against God, God gave us his best, now that we're his children, will he not take care of us? Yes, he will. And if we really believe these things, we're not going to murmur or complain when he brings us into situations that may not necessarily be to our liking. The fourth thing we see in this text is an unorthodox plan. Here, here, here are three million Jews. They're murmuring. They're griping. One portion of Scripture says they're wanting to stone Moses. And so what does Moses do? He prays. And look at what God did in response. He gave him a solution. This is awesome. <laughs> he showed him a tree. So am I supposed to whack these three million Jews over the head? What am I supposed to do with this limb? This makes no sense. These people need water. They don't need a leaf to chew on. What am I supposed to do with this limb? I mean, you're talking about unorthodox. You would have thought that maybe God would have sent down rain or, or something, but no, God shows them a tree, a branch. And what I want us to learn here is that God has different ways of dealing with the maras of our life. He may choose to change your situation and remove the cause of bitterness. How many of you believe God can do that? Absolutely. In a moment, in the blink of an eye, God can change your situation. He can change your circumstances that are previously making you, or were making you bitter. God can do that. And that's one of his prerogatives. That's one of the choices that he has. Or he may just add a new ingredient, as he did in our text. For example, instead of giving you a new job, Because you're miserable at the one that you have now. He could very well choose to bring you a new boss. Or a new co-worker. Who is much more easy to work with. How many of you believe God can do that? Now I'm not going to take you out of this situation. I'm going to put some, something in this situation. That's going to make this situation more bearable. 
for, like he did for the Apostle Paul, he may choose to keep you right where you are and choose you to give, give you the grace to deal with the struggle that you're going through. See, God has many ways of dealing with those difficult situations in our life. Say, well, I want him to do this. Well, it's not your choice, Bubba. It's God's choice. God's the one who's sovereign. God's the one who is in charge. And by the way, God knows what's best. I know we think we know what's best. Listen, you just need to give me a new job. No, you just need to stay right where you're at. I got some people I want you to reach. I got some people there I want you to impact. But I am going to do this. God can do that. Some of you are going to hit your knees today. And God, get rid of him. Get rid of her. He may, he may not. Listen, God could have kept Daniel out of the lion's den. God could have kept Paul and Silas out of jail. He, he could have kept the three Hebrew children from the fiery furnace. Listen, God never promises to keep us out of hard places. He could. And I have no doubt that sometimes he does. We always talk about the storms, God is, uh, the storms that God has got us through. What about those storms that he never let come? God can keep us out of hard places, but he never promised to do that. What he has promised is to go with us through every hard place and to bring us through victoriously. Then number five, look at verse 27. Here we see the unseen provisions of God. I love this. And they came to Elam, where were 12 wells of water and three score and 10 palm trees. That's 70 palm trees. And they encamped there by the waters. Now, church, look at how awesome God is. How many... How many tribes of Israel were there? How many? How many wells of water were there? Well, they were lucky. No, no, no. God had it covered. God had it covered. Listen, if you just hang on, I've got a plan. If you'll just trust me, I've got a plan. And there are 12 tribes of Israel, and every tribe had their own well. Not only that, there were 70 palm trees, one for each of the elders of Israel. Now you tell me, is God not good? Yeah, they went through a difficult time and it was hard, but in the end, God said, listen, I've got this. You know what the children of Israel learned that day? Things aren't always what they seem. Come on. Things are not always what they seem. Things look hopeless. Things look helpless. But just over the horizon, there was an Elam. And you know how far Elam was from where they were at? The wilderness of Shur? Five little miles. That's all. Just five miles. And the people who were accustomed to walking many, many miles, that was just a little, that was a hop, skip, and a jump. Five miles is nothing. Can you imagine what would have happened if they would have just left God at that point? 
I'm done, I'm out of here, I'm through with all of this. When just five miles ahead, just an hour, just a day, just a week, just a little longer, child of God, if you'll just hang on a little longer, I've got something better for you than you could ever imagine. I've got something for you that you never dreamed of. But if you quit, you'll never get there. You with me? I, I don't know. I don't know what the battle is this morning. I don't know what the struggle is in your life this morning. But I know if you're a believer that you're not there on accident. You're there by divine design. And I, I'm not God, and I don't know God's timetable for you, but I know this. How sad would it be to quit today when your victory is just in the dawning of the morning? I, 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 again, I don't know what your situation is. I know that God brings struggles, and I don't know what you're fighting for this morning. Maybe you're fighting for your marriage, or maybe you're praying for a wayward son or daughter, or you're, you're battling a health issue, or you're just trying to hang in there at work. Listen, don't quit. For all you know, your Elam is just around the corner. Don't give up on God. Let's pray.